Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode two of the Distraction Pieces podcast with me, Scroobius Pip. Thank you for tuning in. Um, I've got to thank you at the start for the overwhelming reaction to the or to episode one with Russell Brand and to the announcement in general, man. It's been it's been a lovely. So thank you all for for hyping it and sharing it and liking us and rating us and subscribing and everything else. Thank you very, very much for the support. Um, I didn't mention at the beginning of the last one, which I feel I, sh- I should have as disclosure, because people often look at the beginning of, or the the length of a podcast and go, all right, I'll go for that, it's free. Um, and I forgot to mention that I've, I've got a stutter. So um, any length of podcast, you should probably reduce by about four minutes or so. I guess if it's an hour, that's a decent percentage, because it's, to say it was an hour and eight minutes, it's probably an hour and four minutes of podcast and about four minutes of me kind of building up the hype through uh, through speech um, impediment. <laughs> um, but yeah, on this week's show, in fact, before I talk about who we got this week's show, I should talk about our sponsors because we're going to have sponsors to try and keep this free and keep this going for y'all. Our sponsors this week are Speech Development Records, which is my record label, so that was an easy sponsorship to get. But yeah, check us out. We've got people like Sage Francis, who I'm actually on tour with at the moment. Um, I'm recording this in a hotel room. Um, so yeah, we've got Sage Francis, we've got B. Dolan, we've got War and Peace, we've got Giacomo Brown, we've got Polar Bear, we've got amazing people. So um, all of whom I'm going to try and get podcasts with at some point along the line. So check us out. And it's also brought to you by Redshift Rebels. And Redshift Rebels are a clothing company um, who, when they set up, they decided instead of... uh, The guys who set it up um, had a a degree in business and he looked at the budgets that companies put aside for marketing. And he decided he was going to set his clothing company up and take the marketing budget or percentage and put that into music and arts so their full marketing budget is putting out records by people and putting on gigs and putting on club nights and and spending their money on something positive instead of that weird industry of advertising where they're paying you to say good things um so yeah check them out they've got if in fact they've put out a 25 percent discount code for code for all podcast listeners so if you go to their website and enter the discount code free cheese um that's a reference to one of my lyrics for anyone that's incredibly confused um you'll get 25 percent off so yeah check them out redshift rebels they're awesome but on to this week's podcast this week's podcast we've got zane low um i was hugely excited to to have on the show and I'm excited for you all to hear this podcast because I feel Zane is one of the most misunderstood and underrated guys out there which sounds crazy considering how huge and successful and popular he is but people don't know um, about his history about his skills as just a DJ about all these different things hopefully a lot of that will come across in the podcast Um, I'm going to stop rambling now because this isn't what you've tuned in for Um, I hope you enjoy I'll be back again at the end with a little bit of information so hopefully you'll stick around for that but for now this is Distraction Pieces Podcast Episode 2 Zane Lowe And we 
going? Delightful. There we are. Zane Lowe, how are you? It's a delight to see you, my friend. It's a, it's a delight to have you on. Thank you so much for inviting me into your home. Yeah, this. cool, We're man. It's lounging, a pleasure. Lounging in the living room. It, uh, it works for me on a day like today when I'm pretty tired. So Just get nice. to relax a little bit. You were yeah. gigging last night, right? Yep, on I the UK Instagram tour. Instagram pictures of thousands of people looking very happy <laughs> yes yeah, you know the kind of annual run around the uk and um it's been going really well man having a good time playing records it's loud and you know lots of lights and yeah kids having a good time i was just I was, i've had this discussion with um at dj yoda before mm. that there's a lot of it's weird that there's two versions of what a dj is because there's djs that are on the radio and djs that play live and mm. we were trying to make a list of djs that can do both really well mm. and all we came up with was you Eddie Temple Morris and Annie Mack wow, that's and, a good and that was our kind on, of bro. three that was our kind of three that were like they can, can kill it live how does that like, like how do you find that because you get obviously a lot of these ones are often student type things and and, and, and yeah. I don't know a lot of shows do you get people turning up just expecting the guy off the radio and then when you actually are as good as you are not to, to no it's nice you to say it's a, it's a it's a it's a good observation because for a long time it felt like no matter how much i practiced or how many shows i did or how good the night was yeah. that I, I i couldn't get past the oh he's a broadcaster first scenario yeah and i'm proud very proud to be a broadcaster and i love being a radio dj and i love playing records on bbc or, or wherever you know but you know, when I go out and I DJ in clubs or I DJ in venues, you know, I, I, I don't look at it as a completely separate thing, but I don't necessarily want the two to be seen the same yeah. way. I, you know, I'll take the same kind of energy I have on radio and I'll apply it to those, those kind of nights. I use the mic, but that to me is, is really inspired by my, my love of hip hop, my love yeah, of rap, yeah, rap DJs, you know, the, you know, the Grandmaster Flashes and the, you know, and, and, and Mace from Dallas Soul. I mean, I remember when I did the All City show with Dan Greenpeace and, and Touche. Yeah. Theo, we, we booked Mace from Dallas Soul and he was on stage with these two turntables and had a microphone smack dab in the middle above the mixer. And every 30, 40 seconds, he was on that mic hyping that crowd up. And I was yeah. like, well, that's me. It's, it's, it's the crazy thing on, on Della Soul's live show. It's, it's Mace that's hyping the crowd. Yeah. Like, like you've got two MCs. Yeah, but most he's the, of the hyping comes he's got from, the voice. Yeah. It's got Mace, Mace has got that voice. Yeah. And I was like, that's me. That's what I want to do. And I think some people got confused and thought, well, he's trying to do radio up there. But it was always just a rap thing. Yeah. So it took a long time, really, for people to recognize, I think, or some people to recognize that, well, okay, irrespective of what he does on Radio 1, you know, when he goes out and plays live shows, you know, he is technically a DJ. And, and people like, you know, yourself and certainly DJ Yo, Yoda have really helped change that perception. Yeah. Yoda's been a, a huge support for me. I mean, it's it's it's, it's a great thing because in a way, it is um, it's kind of a not. It kind of makes it more impactful in mm. in many ways when people because there are again a lot of the XFM and Radio One DJs do a lot of indie nights and it's very much they're mm. it, they're awesome to go and see, but they're just playing s s songs. So it's I think it kind of once people get past any any misconceptions, it's got to work in your favour that they're turning up expecting Surprise. to hear Surprise. some songs and then you're yeah. just cutting it up. It's and not a PA. It. I'm not going to go up there and dance. I mean, you know, it's... Yeah. I, I knew very quickly when I just started... Just because you, you mentioned that, have you ever called a, a Q-tip DJ? No. Because I, I called him... I would love DJ to, a year ago and there was all rumours that Tribe were going to be there because yeah. it was the same day they played um, a wireless. wireless. And Q-tip is playing and then he ends his set 
and he literally puts on a record, a long a James Brown record, comes out and puts on some new boots at the front of the stage and then just dances Amazing. and then comes down into the crowd and, and just gets everyone to dance. And people are trying to take pictures of their phone. He's putting them down like, no, I want you to dance. That's so, amazing. That's well, that's cute. He can't. Yeah. It's not that I haven't danced on stage. There's been some nights <laughs> where the running man has come out. Damn but... Right. um. I could never pretend to do, to, to, to do the James Brown shuffle. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I knew really early on that when I was, that if I was going to DJ and I was going to tour and I was going to do that and I was going to spend nights playing records, that I was going to take it as seriously as I could and, yeah, and, and right. develop my own style and just be me. And it, it's not for everybody, but I know the people who do come and see it and pay, and pay really hard earned money to come and see a show. Um, you know, I think by now they know what they're getting and, and, you know, I, I just want it to be, spontaneous and chaotic i'm not i've never been good at blending yeah i'm not a blending dj and yeah some of my favorite djs are i can take you on a journey for two three four hours by simply keeping the same groove and it just becomes yeah. meditative and and it's it's a transformational experience but for me i'm a bomb squad kid yeah i grew up listening to those that yeah, production yeah, yeah. that just like all of a sudden there's a chainsaw why is there a chainsaw in that record yeah. and hang on whoa hang on what that's just cut into that soul record and now it's gone back into the beat and where are we going here and that whole philosophy of like cut and paste and surprises and yeah. spontaneous jolts of energy. That's pretty much my whole entire philosophy on radio and on stage. I mean, I was going to s- compare that uh, to radio there as well, because I think that's one of the great things about your show. And I think your show, uh, a, a lot of people d- d- don't obviously give it the credit in this way, but I think it's one of the most important shows for hip hop because mm. you don't, because it's not a specialist hip hop sh- uh, show. So sure. Because you go from, all of the different genres in your background and all the different genres you love that when you are playing hip hop, you're not just playing it to the heads that would already know this. A lot of the, mm. the, the, the one extra stuff and all this other, it's amazing, but people are tuning in specifically f- for, for that. that. So it's not always progressing the genre or open up to a wider audience. So like, how did you, when you got your Radio 1 show, what was your thought of what the show was? Or was it originally an indie show or a rock show or an alternative show and then it developed or was it always planned to be a mix of everything you love? Well, first, I mean, i got to rewind back a bit to the XFM show because when I was doing that, <clears throat> that was primarily an indie rock station. Yeah. yeah. And with the help of, um, you know, people like, you know, Andy Ashton and and, and, and Andrew Phillips, you know, we, we started to incorporate different genres of music in there. Yeah. And that's what led to things like the remix coming on board and things like that was because we were saying, well, why can't we play Chemical Brothers? And why can't we play, you know, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg next episode? Yeah, yeah. That, that, that should sound really good next to Papa Roach. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. And, you know, and we started to infiltrate these songs in, but still it was a primarily rock and indie show. So when I got to Radio 1, in my mind, they were hiring me to do that. And when I got there, the first thing that they said was, so, you know, you know, we expect you to play everything. And I was just like, it's hallelujah. Meeting, right? I was just like, hallelujah. Particularly was- <laughs> when you have that fear of stepping up to the BBC and this, this, this grand thing, you mm. kind of expect to have some kind of stuff pulled back. I thought they were going to put me in a lane. I thought they were going to put me in a lane and go, this is the lane we need you to go in. And they were like, no, no, here's your whole, you can have the whole freeway. Yeah. This is your whole freeway. You can go whatever lane you want. And this is yours for these hours. This is yours. Drive carefully. (laughs) No, drive erratically. (laughs) Drive as fast and as erratically as you can on radio, you know? And, um, and I just remember being really excited. And then I remember panicking and thinking, I need a crash course in drum and bass. Yeah. Because right. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't yeah, listened yeah, yeah. to DMB for a few years because I've been so focused on XFM and everything else. And I liked the records I liked, but 
I suddenly realised, like, man, I need I need some time with Fab and Groove Rider as quick as possible. And, and was that an amazing thing? Because uh, just speaking of XFM, when I accepted and started doing my show on yeah. there, I thought I knew about hip-hop. And then having to do a weekly show about hip-hop has been just a blessing to yeah. me because I know so much. There's so much hip-hop that I wouldn't have heard, I wouldn't have listened to, I wouldn't have found because I was like, right, I need every week to have new and fresh stuff. Because you're broadcasting for people, not just for your own ears. You yeah. know, you're not just loading up your own iPod or your own iPhone it's or so your own whatever. It's so easy to find your, your five or six that you're into or and that you stick little with it, yeah. area and stick with it. So Yeah, yeah. All of a sudden it's like, hang on, I've got like two hours to fill or, or in our case, yeah. eight hours to fill. And so, yeah. you know, you're thinking, okay, we've got to find the best music. But we're lucky in the sense that because we have a broad spectrum of, of, of genres and stars to play and everything gets played, um, you know, we, we we played the you know the last couple of Usher singles, you know, because yeah. we love them. Yeah. And our thing is like, well, you know, he's a very credible artist in our eyes because, you know, he works with great producers. He has great A and R for his music, and he writes excellent hooks. And, you know, good kisser, that beat is sick. Yeah. So we're gonna play it. <laughs> you know, and and my thing is like, I like little sneak attack records like that where people think, oh, well, he's just an indie guy, or he's just that yeah. guy, or that show's just that. And I'm like, well, hang on, no, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. Check this out. Here's the new Amory record. Uh, 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 has there been anything that you've been just adamant to convince people it's 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 dope? It's not just this pop thing. It's yeah. it's dope. I mean, the example I have on because my show was more alternative hip hop. Kendrick was one that I was just like, look, I know you think he's just this blown up huge artist. It's so funny Kendrick's you have to convince dope. your crowd that Kendrick is cool yeah, because it's, it's so funny. And I understand that. Because, because over here we didn't really get rigor mortis and all the earlier ones that showed that all we got was the bigger ones and people are like, right, and not and not listening to it in the way they maybe sh- sh- should. Mm. You know, well, I understand that because the kind of audience that, you know, was listening to your show, certainly probably at the very beginning until you, that you start to broaden their yeah, perspective yeah, yeah. of what rap music could be. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's a very underground crowd. Yeah, I mean, you're listening completely. to rappers who have been playing their trade for the love of it for a long yeah. time and watching rap music just commercialize more and more over time. Yeah. That's completely. a painful transition for people 100%. who are making it from, from the heart and, and watching it just basically go and trans and just go and hang at the bank. Yeah. And it's yeah, difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's a difficult, um, two worlds to, 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 to marry together. Yeah. But then you get artists like Kendrick and I'm going to really, piss your audience off now you know drake who yeah. i think irrespective of the criticism he gets is contributing a huge amount to the to the art form both in terms of keeping it toronto keeping yeah. it his crew the beats he chooses i mean he makes hit records out of beats that, that don't sound like they yeah. they should be hit records yeah, yeah, zero to 100 sense. is just like whatever and then he gets on it and you're like oh my god it's a classic the thing that confuses I mean, with Drake. I mean, personally, I've not heard that much I'm into, but again, I respect it. Sure, I respect sure. It. The thing that confuses me is he seems to champion some amazing stuff. Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird that I'll, I'll hear some of the stuff he's, he's shouting about or he's making noise about, and I, I can't see the connection there, but... But thanks. That's great. But that's what's cool. You realise that he does go deeper, and I think that a lot of the people that... Because he does get a lot of... He does get a lot of, a lot of you know, criticism. Yeah. I think... He's one of those classic artists where that just drives him. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. what I really like about about him is he could have been so easily swept up, like other rappers have been recently, yeah. by America and going, oh, well, you are accepted in America now, so you really have to just be Americanized because that's where rap started. Fair yeah, enough. Completely. He's gone, no, 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 no. I'm going to stay in Toronto. I'm going to keep my beat makers Toronto. I'm going to oh, start my own dope. companies in Toronto. I'm going to do my own thing in Toronto. He still look like, looks like he's from Toronto. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, he goes on stage and performs in front of 30,000 people, literally looking like he's just come from the corner store. Yeah. And I just love that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool. you know, he does keep it down to earth. But I think when you, those two worlds are, are not often 
they don't collide. And, 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 and I'm really glad you champion Kendrick because we all know that that guy is, uh, you know, he's a true creative. I mean, you know, yeah. I love playing those kind of, I love playing Bobby Schmurder on my radio show yeah. because to me, I love putting it next to, <laughs> you know, like a, a sensitive singer songwriter or, yeah you know a, a rock band or I love playing Duke DeMont and then playing Bobby Schmurder it's, why it's, can't you do it's that it's so weird trying to it, it, it's so weird trying to get people to realise that and this is going to sound odd I guess but you don't have to agree with everything in a song to enjoy it like I'll I'll play a lot of stuff and be, because my stuff's quite mm. conscious or quite or whatever and Kendrick even will throw in some quite sexist or, mm. social, or, or whatever type of stuff and people go I can't believe you listen like Lil Wayne, I love Lil Wayne. I think right, he's one yeah. of the best rappers in the world. I think, right. just skill wise, but he's lyrically raw. Yeah, yeah, like he's he makes me uncomfortable when yeah. I hear some of his songs. And I mean, Odd Future, another one, obviously, yeah. they, they, they have championed a lot. I remember when they first came out t- t- tweeting about a few of their tracks, and people being like, I "Can't believe you're yeah. supporting this." It's like it's it's dope. Like like what I'm listening to, I. Is amazing. How do you find that though? Because you are, and I use this word with 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 the greatest of respect. (laughs) In my mind, you're a righteous dude. Yeah, you know, and everyone who knows you knows you're a righteous dude, and you've been righteous on record and righteous off the record. And how do you find sometimes when you just want to play a record because it's fun or because it sounds cool and it makes you feel a certain way, but it might not be walking that righteous path? I mean, that's it. uh, It's it's one of the reasons I'm so addicted to social media to try and get a broader perspective of who I am across because again particularly on record if you listen to my records you're perfectly right to assume I'm very not high and mighty but yeah a, a, along that route right just where in, in real life I like a lot of stuff and I do a lot of mm. I, I, you know I do a lot of things that aren't great I mean, very few people of, know that actually um, you pole dance in your pole spare time dance regularly <laughs> but I donate it all to the children so all, all your tips <laughs> you donate all your tips I've, to charity I've managed to make pole dancing righteous that's, that's how righteous I am um, yeah 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 so it's, it's an interesting one but a, a lot of the time I, I, I don't believe all music should be... I think if all music was like my music, it'd mm. be a hell of a, a boring world. I think you need to have that variation. You need to have that stuff. Like in a club, like when I'm DJing out live, I don't play um, Sage Francis and Saul... Or, or maybe uh, some Saul Williams. But, mm. you know, I don't play heavily conscious stuff because you don't want to hear that when you're out drinking with your friends there are you club hear- records and then there are cerebral records yeah. you know and then there are records that make your hearts flutter and make your hearts break and then there are records that make you want to walk down the street and grimace yeah. at strangers indiscriminately because the riff is so brutal yeah. it's put you in that frame of mind even though on the outside all people can hear are the passing buses and the birds tweeting but in your head you're like man I'm so angry right now yeah, exactly. and I just yeah that's what music's supposed to do it's most it's supposed to make you feel a certain way. And I think one of the things you and I've always, you know, connected on is the fact that I don't really feel why I've never felt genre led, you know, I mean, actually it's not true. There was maybe five or six years where I was just rap, but that was when I was kind of making a mark in my own tastes. And, um, and I, and I wanted to make a statement because I'd grown up with my brother's record collection and it was an amazing record collection. And now all of a sudden I was listening to the Smiths and the Cure and Led Zeppelin and, um, you know, China Crisis and all these weird new wave records. Um, And then I discovered rap music and I was like, this is mine. This is mine. Yeah. And there was, you couldn't get it. Yeah. There's three records available in the blues and soul category down at 256 Records on Queen Street in Auckland. That's it. I mean, that's what I wanted to to talk to you about as well. So going all the way 
about to Auckland. I know when I was growing up in in Essex and and rap was coming. Th- through it was it was pre-internet it was hard to get hold of records oh, how God. was it over there was it, e- it was, was it even harder pre, it was pre-import yeah. no in fact it was pre-domestic sales it was literally just like three like there was the street a couple of street sounds compilations mm-hmm. that morgan khan put out yeah. um and there was a grandmaster flat grandmaster Mally mal album yeah and that was kind of it. Maybe a flash and a flash album, Sugar Hill Gang. Yeah, and I, I remember my, my my friend Kirk Harding, who to this day is one of my closest friends, who's now who now manages the neighborhood and worked at Loud Records with Steve Rifkin for many we years. Did, yeah. You know, he was one of the. It, we used to go and we used to just ask him. We, he used to work at Two Fifty Six Records and behind the counter. Yeah, I'd go there after school and be like, "Is there anything new in week after week? Is there anything new in? Is there anything new in?" He'd be like, "There's a Houdini record that just came in. Go get that." So I just buy everything that came in, yeah. anything and everything that came in. And then my mum went to New York. And um and I said, can you just bring back some stuff? She brought back three cassettes that had just come out. One was King of Rock, um by Run DMC. One was Yo Bum Rush the Show, Public yeah. Enemy. And one was Bad by Alo Cool J. Yeah, I'm bad. And I was just like, oh my god, that's my summer. That's a hell of a trio. I just remember I looking at well, these. That's good timing. Oh, dude. Dude. <laughs> yeah, and I just looked at these three cassettes and I was like, <laughs> I don't know which one to listen to first. Yeah. Guess which one I listened to first out of those three. Bearing um, in mind, I'm a young, I'm a young guy. I know, of course. <laughs> Covers are the car, the whole works, be. man. The dude's like sitting, yeah. like like leaning against a cop car or something. I'm like, I'm going straight for the Hollywood blockbuster. Like three amazing albums, but obviously, hello, that was just- straight in there. And the first thing I heard was just like calling all cars, calling all cars. We're gonna need backup. Oh, nobody can rap yeah. quite like I can. I'll take a muscle bound man and put his face in the sand. Oh my god, I was just like, what is this? It's so good. I, I love that. <laughs> this is it, it, it's something that the B Dolan always goes on about everyone knows about um tough ll and Mm. and 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 love a man ll but people don't give enough credit to unintentionally hilarious ll songs like you can't dance no 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 cheesy rat yeah cheesy rat blues yeah now it's time to go for mine it's windshield time you know all about this down and out guy who can't get anywhere you know yeah. he's like I'll steal a kid's tricycle like he's just like the funniest that's one of the funniest records ever yeah. cheesy rat you ain't all that can you feel it nothing can save you it's so funny man. I, I, on one of the tours with Dolan the line you dance like a fat old lady not saying that fat old ladies ain't nice was just one of the it's just like that is that's classic rap right there surely that that should be in in the hall of fame but hey, i mean he is well, i mean he to me i would really credit him and rock him yeah and run from run dmc as the three rappers that kind of shaped my whole concept of what rap could be and then mc light yeah cuz she had that I hadn't heard that high pitched voice that 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 she brought as a female MC, a high register, but she she delivered it with such like fire. Pitch. It wasn't even just like I'm a girl on the mic. It was just like you know she was just like hot damn hoe. Here we go again, and she would yeah, spit yeah, yeah. at you. And I was just like, oh my lord, amazing, you know. And but it was rock, you know. It was, those were the those were the crew. I think pitch is. A gen- generally ignored thing that's essential in hip hop. Totally. I think I think Eminem wouldn't be Emin- like he at points he can rap so fast because he's got that high pitch. Mm. He can go to that high pitch and mm. he can can vary. Whereas Rakim and and Kane and people like that have that 
that base there, that authority that instantly just drives a track through. And it's like that's Guru kind of- said, it's mostly the voice. I mean, I I, yeah. I I disagree with that statement a little bit because obviously you need there's a lot more components, but I know what he was getting at when he wrote yeah. that line. He was like, I was blessed with this larynx and I'm going to use it, you know? Yeah. And and when you look at the great MCs, I mean, look at what Nas has achieved. You know, he couldn't have delivered an album like Illmatic unless he had the voice that was compelling enough to make you listen. If he'd wrapped those bars. rhymes in a really high energy, high yeah. pitch, it wouldn't have had the same impact. But when he comes out and he starts, he starts that album, you know, straight away, you know, I don't know how to start this, man. And you listen to this voice like, yeah. oh my God, he sounds like something out of a Scorsese movie. Yeah, yeah. Him and Most Def always have felt like they could have recorded their whole album sitting down, but it doesn't make it any less immediate and urgent and important. I mean, I still think the best rapping I've ever seen live in my life was at a Black Star show at the Jazz Cafe. Oh, really? And I watched Most Def and Talib Kweli battle in acapella and, and Most oh, Def. Wow. I just, I'd never seen the two, two MCs drop conscious rhymes in a way that was just so rap yeah it just it, i didn't feel like i was being educated i felt like i was being entertained but in a way with words it just made me think it was just wild man KRS edutainment is, KRS is, is one knowledge reigns supreme i mean that guy i mean literally he's another one i mean the first time i ever heard poetry yeah wow but the turning point for me was lyrics of fury right you know, I heard the rhymes and lyrics of Fury, and I just, you know, you know, it was like I ble- what was like, like I blessed the child, the earth, the gods, and bomb the rest. I mean, the, just the, just the lyrical imagery that he was coming yeah, up with the fire. Intensity. You know, he was he was it was like he was sent from from another planet to me. Yeah. I couldn't get get my head around. And I still to this day I listen to songs like Lyrics of Fury, and I'm like, no one can top that. Yeah, it's just amazing. So 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 where did it, it, it go from that? You got those three records. What made you want to? produce or start a group you know it was just compulsive it was compulsive i was just i was i just became obsessed i became obsessed with rap and um and so it's just an if if you become obsessed with something enough eventually you want to immerse yourself so deep into it you want to try it whether it's skateboarding or football or you know acting or science or whatever for me it was rap music it's one of the most seemingly accessible genres i think there's particularly before i started the people that i saw live and i was going to a lot of punk gigs but mm. also hip-hop gigs and rap, hardcore gigs and whatever else it was the rap gigs where i'd look and go man i should i could do that i I'm could so you know it, it, it would take a lot of work but i could do that i'm so jealous there were no rap gigs man i mean yeah. i used to i used to get the enemy and used to cut out the articles then there was only about two or three every single you know week and we'd have to get it imported from the uk so it would arrive two months later so i'd get these That's enemies craziness. and i'd cut out these black and white photos of mantronics live or king t at the forum or yeah. somewhere you know and i would i made my own scrapbooks so i had nothing but rap That's articles amazing. in them so i could bypass all the other stuff and just focus on the rap stuff then i just started writing because i was like i can't play an instrument so I'm going to just start writing rhymes. Yeah. And I just wrote, I would sit at home and I would write a whole album in a day. So, but they weren't very good. I mean, they yeah. were like, you know, literally the cat sat on the mat, you know, but I would yeah. just write these, these songs, write approximately three verses for each song. Yeah. Then I would, um, then I would fold it, name it. And then Fair I would enough. make 10 of them. Then I would put a, a rubber band around them, name the album and I would put it away. And, and eventually my mom just found hun- like That's hundreds of these, these, these raps yeah. And she biffed them all. Oh, that's outrageous. <laughs> I mean, they were good. I mean, I'm sure she said, oh, it was an accident. I'm sure she just read a few and went, they're not very good. Yeah. But um, it just it just didn't make me want to stop. For your own good. For my own good. No, no one should find these. No one should find these, you know. <laughs> no one should rap like work and jerk in the same yeah. rhyme. Um, yeah, and I just, and then I just, and then my friend just convinced me, we need to do a show. I'll be the DJ, you be the rapper. We'll do one song at a club night we're doing for underage, you know, we're doing underage nights. Amazing. Come and jump up and rap. And we did. And how was that? 
terrifying. It, it felt to be in front of the crowd and terrifying. It was a blur. I don't really remember much about it. Yeah. I remember it, it, we sampled Funky Drummer in the track, and we also sampled Blow Your Head by Fred Wesley in the track. You know, yeah. so it was all like. <laughs> You know, it was all just very basic stuff, but got the bug, started a band and that was it. You know, that was, that was the rest of my kind of teenage years was spent trying to make an album and tour with <clears throat> loads of flying nun bands and because there wasn't a lot of rap audience out there. I so we'd say, have to, how was that attempting to tour in, in we, a place you've said there's dude, no we, rap we, gigs? We would tour with the 3Ds, legendary mm. New Zealand indie bands and go oh, wow. play universities with the 3Ds. So we'd be on doing these raps, like half an hour rap sets and then 3Ds would come on. This is legendary New Zealand flying nun acts, you know, That's with crazy. a rap band supporting. It was bizarre. And how'd it go down? It was how cool, you know, it was crowds? good. I mean, you know, we were just... We were just kids, man. We were just having fun. We were just jumping in a van. Our friends would drive us in cars. Mm. And we were just dudes on the road having a laugh and playing shows and trying to remember our rhymes. And it was great, you know? And it, and it was sort of the adolescent dream. I mean, I... I know that nowadays there are teenagers who are, you know, selling millions of records and traveling the world and fulfilling yeah. all their dreams at such a rapid yeah. rate. Yeah, it's crazy. I can't even imagine what that's like. But we lived a far more stereotypical adolescent music yeah. adolescent music life, which was just like, get in the van, yeah, tour great. the country you're in, I play as many shows as you can. Yeah. I think the key, a thing I've learned over the years, and I tell every support act I can, is that... If you're a support act, yeah. you can't get the song wrong if you don't let it if, if, if you don't let it show. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's it's thinking I, I need to get my lines right. I need to remember my, my style lines it right. out. Yeah, as long as you style it out, style it out. If they don't know it already, style it it's, out. It's right. That's if you have to, just stop the song and like you guys aren't even ready for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and everyone knows you're absolutely <laughs> BSing them big time, but it doesn't matter. They, they'll applaud the fact rewind you tried. The record, rewind the record. Rewind the record. There's nothing worse than there's, there's nothing yet. worse than being like, yo, I fucked up, man. Damn, damn, man. I'm such a loser. Like exactly. that's the last thing you want to like, do. Yo, yo, yo. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're not ready for that. Just give me five minutes to go backstage and check my lyric sheet. Then I'll come back. <laughs> now you're ready. Exactly. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, and where did that all develop then from there? When did you, you we make just, the move? Well, we made the album. We had fun. We toured it. I, I got some work music TV just because I wasn't getting anywhere in the bar trade. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't yeah. really working out for me. I couldn't make it to um, to regular shift work. I was still, like, basically kind of clearing tables. Yeah. I realized that wasn't my my life. And um, and I got a job being a tape-hop at a music channel, and then that kind of led me to be on camera for a dance-slash-rap-music-slash-R&B soul kind of show, and that was my kind of thing. And, and, and then it must that, have been a dream at the time as, was as well, of, right? Wasn't to, get, to go and be involved in... What was the dream was I was making some money. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was making just a little bit of walking around money. I was taking the pressure off my mum, who was like, can you stop drinking cans of beer and watching the Donahue show and eating quarter pounders all day because yeah. you're bored and miserable and depressed. Yeah. You know, can you get out in the world? I know you don't want to go yeah. to university anymore, but can you do something? So what was nice was that I had some purpose. And, um, and then when I was on camera, I didn't realize that was my path. I just said, I'll do that. And I suppose I didn't even really realize it until I started doing interviews. Yeah. And then people responded to the interviews. That's great. The first interview I did was with a guy called Nick, who was in the Lemonheads, the bass player of the Lemonheads at the time. Oh, wow. And uh, and that was the first time I ever interviewed anyone. And I really enjoyed it, and I really liked doing what we're doing now and yeah. talking about music and just sharing stories. and And um, and that's when I really realised, okay, maybe this is a future for me here. Um, but it was always TV, and then I had an inkling that maybe radio would be something I'd want to do, but only after I'd moved to the UK and had, was, had been working at MTV for a while. Yeah, and, and then XFM came calling. And how was was MTV? Because obviously. Gonzo, I think, again, mm. was a key show for getting 
people across that that weren't getting covered at, or certainly weren't getting on TV. They might have been getting some some airplay or anything else, but right. at that point, all you had was I mean, kind of as you have now. Not a J- lot. J- Jules Holland and one or two things that you need to be kind of established to get on there. So, yeah. so how how exciting was that to to get to just go? Um, it felt very punk rock and guerrilla in itself. Yeah, so, how, yeah. so how enjoyable was that? And what was the well? The story behind that was interesting, man. Because I mean, I've been really lucky with 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 great timing yeah. of the things I've I've been a part of in terms of the way music shifts so you know I'd, I'd gone to mtv i'd worked my way through mtv news and done a few bits and bobs worked on up for it with eddie for a while and yeah of course then got this opportunity to things had changed and become very pop mm-hmm. not dissimilar to what we've been going through for the past few years yeah, you know, yeah, a lot yeah. of pop stars and backstreet boys westlife all these things were huge and you know, this woman, Christine Bohr, who ran MTV at the time, she was like, you know, we still need a new music show to satisfy the labels. You know, we still got to keep people happy and make sure that we're, we're promoting the new and exciting stuff. And also she was a fan of that music. Yeah. So she said, you can do this show called Brand New. You and a friend of mine, Paul Shivers, um, who, you know, who's a, who was a very close friend of, of ours. And um, and we made this show for a few years and, and it was just a no man's land. Yeah. It was just, we felt like we were just broadcasting to nobody. And, you know, in that time, we, but we started to see music was shifting. I mean, that was kind of the amazing thing with MTV2 at the time was right. there seemed to be these shows on at night and stuff like that where, again, you kind of... you Anytime I'd watch things like that, it'd kind of feel as if I'm the only person watching. Exactly. And MTV2 <laughs> started around this time as, as Brand New was ending. And I, I remember the conversation, uh, uh, how it went. The, the, the MTV had changed hands. It was in the hands of new of new manage, management and stuff, people who were running it. And this guy said to me, look, we're going to have to... We're gonna we're gonna end brand new, yeah. and I was devastated. I was like, "Oh my god, how can you end brand new?" You know, and he, and this is on the main channel, and and then he went, "But you know, it's okay because the guys at MTV Two want you to go over there." And I was just like, "Good, thanks, cool. great, Thank nice you. one, bye." Thanks, and I, I, there was just a, there was just a, an outline of dust of me walking, yeah, because yeah, 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 <laughs> I was already like up the end yeah. of the corridor, you know, yeah. and I walked straight up there, and we. They didn't even get up out of their desks. I leaned against a filing cabinet in their little corner of the office and said, hey, man, so we're going to work. They're like, great. It was like four of them. Will McGilvery now works up a transgressive. A guy called Nick Hutchings, um, a guy called Jim Hickey, who's now a director, and uh, and a few other, and one other kid, I think. And we and we just went, one other guy, and, and, and we just went, what are we going to do? And they went, I don't know, man. We were thinking like a handheld show, like literally in a closet, no budget, uh, just links and videos, make yeah. it an afternoon thing. And I was like, cool. And then depending on who you talk to about the name – I came up with the name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now it was like, and someone said, we'll make a gonzo journalism. And I was like, well, let's just call it gonzo or someone yeah. let's just call it gonzo to be safe. And, um, and we, we did it and it was done. And in five minutes it was talked about and it was done. Yeah. And then like two days or a week later, we were on the air and that was it That's perfect. for nine it's years. So, so uh, simple and easy. And people talk a lot about luck and timing. Yeah. But I think one of the key things with people like yourself being successful and doing stuff is the actual act of just doing it it's, stick with it a, there's a lot of, of luck there but the the people that are sitting at home thinking ah oh, I wonder if this opportunity is going to come if you're there doing it yeah. then you're the one that that opportunity is going to fall to well a friend and, of mine said to me when I was when I was working starting to work in this industry way back in the day he's like you know there, there's there's this kind of world that in the, there's a room and everyone will try and get into the middle of the room and everyone will try and get their moment in the middle of the room but if yeah. you stay in your corner yeah. eventually people will come to you and yeah, yeah, yeah. so the idea was like look this is the music I love I can't I can't fight that I'm not going to change who I am because something's popular and just as MTV2 and Gonzo began hello here's the strokes 
Hello, right, here's, yeah, yeah. you know, the killers. Here's all these bands. And they came to us. They were like, well, we want to go there because that's the show that's that the likes that to, music. Yeah. And then Radio 1 came Completely. along and it was this perfect kind of transitional moment. And that was kind of when we went through that four or five years where it was all guitars. And, and, um, and it was just a really good time. I mean, we just had a really good time. And the reason we ended Gonzo was because, again, things had changed musically. It didn't feel appropriate for us to be talking about cheese at a time where rock bands were getting dropped and records weren't selling. Right, yeah, it felt like so we were sort of thumbing our come. nose to it a bit, yeah. like, oh, look, you know, we've got a band on the couch. You know, you're not selling out gigs or anything. Let's talk about something completely irrelevant. It was yeah. the, the irrelevance and the and the stupidity only worked when the bands were killing it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you know, we don't need to talk about how successful you are because you're huge. So let's talk about cheese. Yeah. Whereas at that point, it's like, no, we really would like to plug our record. This yeah. <laughs> and then it just sounds desperate and no yeah. one wants that. Yeah. So we no, just exactly. ended it. You know, we ended it. So how did the XFM thing come about initially? And, and, and how did you feel about, obviously you'd been TV, like how did you feel about the idea of radio or? I was into it, man. I mean, I was actually this close to calling up XFM and saying, hey, do you want, you know, I'd love to come and try out. Um, I, I, I just got the bug. I just thought I'd, I'd like to do that. Yeah, I'd like to try it at least. My dad comes from radio. He's well, he was never a broadcaster, but you know he was a promo man who ended up running radio stations, and he's retired now. But you know he he you know he's he's like a hall of famer in New Zealand, you know. Yeah, and um, and so I guess it was in the blood. And so I, I got this call. This guy said, "Good day." You know, my son told me I should give you a call. He's a fan of what you do on telly. So do you want to come in and have a tryout and put you on an overnight? Did a couple of overnights, and then then they got me my my evening show. You know. And I just loved it. I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. I certainly wasn't as confident as, as I am now in what I'm doing. And, and I remember, in fact, I was finding it really difficult to find my flow, you know, because I was on a Monday, a Thursday, and a Friday, I think. And on the Tuesday and the Wednesday, Tim Lovejoy had his Studio 68 program. Right, and yeah, yeah. He just pulled all these resources in from the, from the station. And it was like this huge magazine, like all singing, all dancing, yeah. almost like a TFI type thing. Yeah. And then there was just me and some records. I didn't even have a producer. Yeah, and so I, I just said to my friend Ben, who's a skateboarding dude, and he makes snowboarding and skateboarding videos. And he's just, a, he's just one of those kind of classic rad guys. Yeah. And he's honest. I just said to him, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm lost. And he went, well, you know how when you get, have a few beers in you and you just want to tell me how amazing this band is and you want just air drum yeah. and you, you just, you know, you basically play every drum part to the Deftones and you just act this yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just do that. Yeah, that's perfect. Just do that. Just yell about the records, sing about them if you have to. Just, just, just enthuse. Just be the, just be the guy you are, you know? And that's what happened. And, and that's, that's who I've been ever since. It's such a weird thing that people, that it's so rare that people are genuinely excited and passionate on, on, on the radio about music it's, it's a bit, particularly at that time I guess it was a thing where you were there your job was being the host and the music was kind of an in-between thing whereas it's it was great you and again not to keep a reference in him Eddie Temple Morris was mm. another one that he was exploding about each track and yeah. like you've got to hear this this yeah. is the most amazing thing this well, is we're fans insane we're fans yeah. you're a fan yeah. we're all fans exactly. and just because we sh- you know the the, the the whole process of sharing the music stems from being a fan of it. Yeah. Not because I want to teach. I want to share. Yeah. I want, and, and also, by the way, I want to share in that experience with you, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't just want to facilitate your experience. Yeah. I'm going to let you know that I'm having the same experience. So, so, j- so we're inclusive together in this experience. Yeah. And as opposed to me being like... And here's a song, and I'll connect you with the song. La la. la. No, no, the music is connecting we'll us. Afterwards, <laughs> the music is connecting us. It's just, 
as that must be amazing for you, obviously I'm jumping a lot here, but then you went to Radio 1 and yeah. it was obviously this huge, bigger thing. And bizarrely, as you've just said, having more freedom and more, yeah. oh, more, I more believe free it. reign. How was it then? Because that also coincided with the time of, or, or gradually coincided with the climb of social media. So getting yes. that greater interaction and response to knowing everyone are checking in at the beginning of the show and all this interaction and how was that i think that's another thing that you've all you were one of the first i saw to really engage that live audience rather than listening it's funny because i was i may have been one of the first or at the at the beginning with djs to try and incorporate into radio but i was i was late on social media yeah i didn't really want to use facebook Mm. i didn't really want to do that i was like "Eh," you know I remember Annie Mac saying, you're on Twitter? And I'm like, what's Twitter? And she's like, man, I got 26,000 followers on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is Twitter? And I was just, I was quite belligerent about it. It was weird. I had this thing in my, in my mind where I was just like, nah, man, whatever, you know, yeah. I couldn't be more wrong. And I remember, and I'm going to, I'm, I'm just going to say, because I've never really said who it was, but stuff that, you know, I remember having two hangouts with two different artists and both of them giving me a hard time about it within about a month yeah. of each other, with, completely unrelated. I remember having a coffee with Mike Skinner, and he's like, you need to get on Twitter. Yeah. You need to get on Twitter, because I want to hear what you have to say on Twitter. And secondly, if you don't, you're going to get left behind. Yeah. Because at some point, people are going to start measuring part of your worth according to how many people you can reach it's on crazy, these things. Yeah. And Mike's a very smart guy. Yeah. So I listened to him. So that planted the seed. And then I was in LA and just through mutual friends, I ended up having, a, I went to dinner with a bunch of people and one of them was Trent Reznor. Yeah. So I'm sitting opposite Trent Reznor and, and me and Trent get on really good now, but this is one of the first times we really met yeah. properly. And he was just, how are you? And I'd had these, this, this run of disastrous TV meetings in, in LA yeah. where nothing had come of it because they yeah, wanted yeah. panel shows. And yeah. I mean, they wanted like, you know, the next American Idol guys. Yeah, sure. I'm not that. And, um, I said, it's been disastrous. And he went, well, you know, you should use the internet more and start worrying about where you've been and start worrying about where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> and this That's just made amazing, me think like, right? okay, well, look, of these two guys who are, who are the smartest people I've ever listened yeah, to. And not necessarily the people you'd think, like Trent in particular, wouldn't particularly think him as an advocate of social media. He Obviously, was really he big at the beginning yeah. at, at the time. And then he, and then, but the funny thing was that within two months of them both telling me that and I'd started my account, they both fucked off. <laughs> They both walked away for like a year each. It was hilarious. I was like, "Thanks, guys. What have you walked me into?" You know what I mean? And they wanted to hand. They wanted to leave it in safe hands. I think they both like, just. We're both going to leave. We need to get someone to look after this shit. While I think we're they gone. both just had enough for a while. But I mean, I, <laughs> by that by that point, I realized like this is a thing I need to get on. And, and then we started to incorporate it into the radio, and we realized that look, this is how we're going to measure to a certain extent yeah. the connectability. And also, I realized we can really connect to audience in real time. And we can also canvas for listeners. It sounds awfully political and horrible, yeah, but we can go online really. and we can link a band, put the link up to the radio station online, and we can say, coming up next is this. And immediately, the band are going to retweet to all their fans. And if yeah. you can get 100 people tuning in off that, yeah. then you're connecting to more people. Yeah, so I was completely. like, this is straightforward. And the fact that I'm so slow on this is something I'll only ever admit to Scroobius Pit. <laughs> it makes tons of... Of sense though, man, and it really works with the live show and that interactiveness. And as said, the buzz that radio, what you find out when you start doing it, is about that connection with other people playing that track and not yeah. just sitting again. I've played it, that's out there. And just it's out there, and the it go, excitement right? that you got coming back at you, kind of. Well, we were, but we were faced with this internet 
revolution when I was still on the air and all of a sudden songs were leaking and yeah. you know well hang on when, when are we playing this song yeah it's already out there what's, what's going on how's this working like where's our where's our kind of cornerstone philosophy now of like we're trying to get them to music to you as quick as we can yeah, and we yeah, want to yeah, be this yeah. place to break records and how are we gonna so again I got some great advice which was like you need to just not fight this because forget it because mm. by the way every industry is going to be affected by this over time yeah. so don't just think you're a hard done by music fan yeah, yeah, yeah. completely it's going to happen we were about to, you know, this is the on-demand future, and it's about to go down. Yeah. So you just need to adapt, and you need to just make it work for you. And so that's what we did, and 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 we just started to loosen up and let go, and just actually work with the internet and use it. And and I suddenly realized, like, I don't really want to be blasting people with hashtags the whole time. What I want to be doing is using the internet silently for for the show. Yeah. So not make it a radio feature, just use it for what it's there for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just use it parallel alongside the radio show. Yeah, that's. Great. And just let it integrate sense. quietly into the show as opposed to, I'm online and check out this and that, that, that. Like, no, no, no. I'll just be online while I'm on the air. Yeah. It's cool. And if you are too, then great. Yeah. Twitter, uh, let's go. I like that the, the, that whole leaking of songs and things like that has kind of m- made radio open for who's the hungriest in yeah, many ways. Like, there's no longer, like, I've had stuff when I was doing the beatdown that pluggers had send me and I'd have to break it till I played it two weeks ago because yeah. I heard it on a blog and I was like right this is awesome and by, the way, they're not, by the way they're not mad at you about yeah, that yeah. they may have to pretend they yeah, are because yeah. they've got management and it's labels kind of, who are yelling at them and already, already going so it kind of erases that oh, it's not always a good thing because it's often people like Radio 1 who get these big exclusives but it, it's kind of nice because it lets everyone fight for it it's like you've yeah. got an exclusive but if it's already leaked somewhere you need to move quick on that. You, you need have to, do to this. you have to let go as much as you can. Some of them sting because you've got relationships with artists, yeah, and, and someone else might leak the record, and you're like, man, you know, I spent four hurt. years really breaking that artist, yeah, and I yeah, really yeah, want, yeah. wish I could have continued that relationship. Because it's really not about <clears throat> winning a medal for playing it first. No. It's about building relationships with artists because that is the lifeblood of your audience and the lifeblood of your show and yeah, the life completely. and part of the lifeblood of the artist yeah, is completely. to have relationships with people they can trust so their music gets sold and talked about in a passionate way yeah, and contextualized in, a, in, a, in an understanding way that the audience will appreciate too. Yeah, completely. A, a, a play that is preceded by a genuine comment or discussion on what they've played. You care about it. means so much more than just, oh, Here's something that obviously he had to play at this point because it's on the playlist. Oh, here's this. something that leaked. That's yeah. the one thing that we learned was when things started to leak, we were like, okay, this is going to happen. This is, and, and we we're entering into a playlist future, which is now playlist present. And you know, that's that's great. We all make playlists. We're into it. But the thing about algorithm is, algorithms don't sell music to people. No. They make it available. Yeah. But within an hour, something else is the story. Yeah. So you have an hour window where you're trending or whatever, and the song's leaked, and oh my god! And then an hour later, something else has taken its place. Yeah. And you know, who knows if it's in that hour it's caught? You'll know in a week if you've got hundreds of millions of views, but it just might not catch. You've got that moment. But what what the heart affords us—not to sound like corny—but what the heart affords us is like real rhythm. Yeah. So if you can combine the two, the algorithm yeah. of the modern age with the real rhythm of of human you know, endorsement, a real yeah. passion, then that to me is like, you know, where we're at. And, and completely, it makes all the difference when it's, I've, I've always felt that a recommendation from a friend is worth 
a million times that's more how than you get into music that's how you whatever. learn yeah. you know you either learn it from your parents or you learn it from your, your, your siblings or you learn it from the guy behind the record store counter back in the day yeah. or from your friends at school or because someone is wearing a t-shirt and it looks cool and you want to know what that yeah. is totally. you know it, you don't you won't learn so much if it just shows up on a playlist yeah because what is it it's, where's mean, the story I mean, where's the romance of it where's the mystery where's the excitement where's the build you know, and, and I don't know, man, I, 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 I'm all for pushing forward and progressing. I'm very progressively minded now, but at the same time, I know that human beings need to communicate with human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And actually engage properly. It's, it's the weird thing with Spotify, that whole campaign of, is it the 4 million? I think it is. There's something like 4 million songs that haven't had a single play on Spotify. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Everything's available. It's the whole thing of Every song is available. It's like, but when every song is available, there's it's oh, so hard to see. God, there are, I, I've there spent is. 15 minutes looking at Spotify before when I've been on holiday, yeah. and I've loved it. Yeah. It's been a great 15 minutes, but by the end of it, I'm like, I still don't know what I want to listen to. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that's beautiful yeah. to have that choice. The people have demanded it. They've forced the industry to give it to them. Mm-hmm. We're now living in a in a in a in a, in a you know an industry in a, in a world that is on demand that is that is people have the choice. Yeah. You know, I just still love I just still love sitting down with people like you and talking about how great Rakim is. Do you think anyone will ever <laughs> fall in love with an album on Spotify in the same way that you would fall in love with an album when you had been bought three albums back from New York and that's all you could get of rap. That's all you could listen to. Yeah, I think that, Therefore, I think those do. albums had such value and had to be played and played and played again and learn in and out rather than, cool, I'm going to go onto this, or it's going to automatically start playing another playlist now. And I think they do because I think, you know, people love design. People, I love Lamp. You know, people yeah, love yeah, all yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah, things, yeah, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? And I think that the, the, the platform and the mechanism is... is it's still just that. I think the music will connect you. And, and by the way, you could find that record when you're at a low point in your life and all of a sudden you'll stream that for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's the same as, as, as in some respects, but at the same time, I, I do think that when it's, hand, when it's handed to you either verbally or physically or it's recommended to you by somebody, yeah, it has that. It becomes a story. It starts a story. Yeah. And I just don't think that when songs just appear, there's any story. Yeah, completely. What it is, is it's just, it's kind of like just throwing the newspaper through your door. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're not living it. No. Yeah, no, I get that. It's just a delivery mechanism. Uh, that makes sense. What, uh, do you, obviously it's your job to find music or you get a lot of music pushed upon you. Do you get that pleasure of just stumbling across stuff yeah, still yeah. for yourself? And is that still yeah, something that drives you and gets you? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I've never beaten myself up over, like I've never been the guy who's, who's, who's wanted to, you know, I, I go deep online yeah. and find great music and follow recommendations and, yeah. you know, hit SoundCloud and do that. And you know, my friend Uche has just kind of given me some tips on how to go even deeper, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and I love that. I love that you can sort of go and find someone on SoundCloud and then within an hour, you're just somewhere else completely on, you know, on SoundCloud listening to some music. You never, yeah. by someone who has, you know, 34 followers, <clears throat> but yeah. at the same time, I also love, you know, being told that, you know, there's a new Arctic Monkeys album coming. Yeah. And it's in the system and we're going to work it that way. And, and I've never been a snob about that. Like, yeah. I just love f- finding out about music. I don't, and I don't mind if someone tells me about it. I yeah, don't mind no, if I hear great. it from you yeah. or from Hugh Stevens or John Kennedy 
or Jason Bentley. I don't really mind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want to hear about it. Just need to hear that. I just um, need to hear about it. So we touched up upon it earlier. Was the finding in, in that first interview that you that that, that 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 you enjoy interviewing? And I think that's one of the things that. I've been saying I've been planning like like who I'm I'm lining up for these podcasts, and you were genuinely one of the ones I was most excited about because you're so regularly on the other side of this. You're yeah. so regularly on the other side. So can you tell? Was, by the way, I just won't. Like, I'm, yeah, exactly. I have no interviewee <laughs> etiquette whatsoever. No, that's perfect. But how how was it to then get to interview so? Like, I mean, the the, the list is endless yeah. with particularly in recent years with Kanye and Jay-Z and, and just all of these people how's that 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 been and yeah just how have you f- found that becoming becoming not just the radio guy becoming the l- long form interview guy you're there's not a lot of places on radio where you'll get a 30 minute interview or you know a proper in-depth thing how it's been, it's, it's been a relief, if I'm honest, because it's one of the things I started doing right at the start. Yeah. And before I even got on a plane and came to the UK, I'd interviewed so many people. Yeah. I mean, my showreel was like 25 minutes long. It was so yeah. misguided. Yeah. I didn't realize yeah. I was supposed yeah. to be a minute long, you know. Yeah. And I'd interviewed by, even in, just in New Zealand, I'd interviewed everyone from, you know, Soundgarden, you know, Chris Cornell to Billy Corgan to the Amazing. Beastie Boys to Katie Lang to Garth Brooks to Meatloaf. So That's I just, because, you know, I'd just done all these interviews because even at Max TV, I was like the interview guy. <clears throat> and the only of cool I'd imagine when a lot of people are over there or in they're tr- touring they're going to do something right yeah. you know they're going to talk to a newspaper and they're going to talk to BFM yeah. and they're going to come to Max TV and well we'll talk to Zane yeah. so it was great but I'd been doing it for so long and I'd been told especially in recent years that the internet you know shorter quicker bites yeah. you can't there's no long form future here um and it was the one thing I just thought, well, no one's ever really going to look at me that way. No one's ever going to look at me as an interviewer. Yeah. They're just going to see me as this overenthusiastic, shouty bloke who obviously likes music. Um, so, you know, from my point of view, I, I just suddenly realized that this was this may never happen. Yeah. People may never look at me in the light of like, oh, he's an interviewer. He loves to talk yeah, uh, about sure. music with people. And, and he, you know, he's thoughtful with it. And the Jay-Z thing changed that. Yeah. So that changed really when... The Jay-Z interview happened. Yeah. Because he wanted it on camera. That was important to him. And so we filmed it. And then the experiment was, well, let's let's make these four parts of 10 to 15 minutes each and see if people watch it. And if they do, see for how long they watch it for. And the stats were just astounding. You know, a lot of people watched it. And people were watching it for... I mean, I don't really know what the original average time to watch a YouTube interview clip was, but they were saying it's five, six, in some cases, 10 times longer yeah, than, they, than, they, than the average. And so that sort of planted the seed like, okay, well, well, you know, there is room for long form. And we knew there was anyway, things like TED Talks and yeah, hugely yeah, intellectual, interesting things, but not yeah. really music interviews. So we were like, great, let's do this. And it's then crazy ca- that people didn't think of it for music interviews because it's one of the things that people are so passionate I about. I know it's often more of a hardcore few, but... I want to hear the Beastie Boys talk a, for hours. It was such a simple concept. Yeah. Just make it as long as it needs to be. And all of a sudden we realize, well, actually the innovation here is that you don't have to do a six part series in an order because no one's tuning in by appointment and it doesn't have to be 52 minutes to allow for eight minutes of advertising. Yeah. It can be an hour and 12 minutes and 33 seconds. Yeah. It can be as long as it needs to be. And so 
then Kanye came along and, and obviously that just was like totally unexpected and like, you know, totally unique and wonderful experience. And then Eminem happened. So we had these three interviews within six months and all of a sudden people were talking and saying, well, this guy does good interviews. And it was just kind of a relief. Yeah. It was like, well, I've been doing that for nearly 20 years. So I'm really glad that people actually think that what I do, not everybody, but some people think what I do is, is, is good in that world. And now, you know, we've done the Rick one and, and the Chris Martin one and, there's a couple more we're planning and it's just cool. It just, it's, I love it. It's the only thing I want to do on camera, yeah, Scroob. It's insane. Um, I don't want to present anymore. I just want to do interviews. Just talk to people. Yeah. Um, of, of those th- three, instantly the one I want to ask you about first, for some reason, is, is Eminem. Okay. Just, how was that? How, cause he's, I think, I've, I think Eminem is one of the most naturally gifted and talented guys. I've not loved everything he's done, but sure. there's nothing wrong with that. How was that getting to talk to him? Because he, he's someone that always struck me as as much of a hip hop fan as as he is an artist, if you know what I mean. Oh, so, that's, that's that's exactly he is. He yeah. is the fan. He of, just wants to rap. Was, I love Kanye. I love Jay Z and other, but he was the one that always felt he's just the kid that it's amazing that he gets to do this now when he can quote every rap, every rapper. And I mean, that's what's come across. And I look back over all the interviews I've done with him and it's always been that. Yeah. Every time I tried to ask him about the fame, he just shut me down. Yeah. Because he's like, I'm just a rap fan. Yeah. You know, for the eighth time, I'm just a rap fan. Yeah. How many times do I have to tell Stop you in this. interviews, I'm just a rap <laughs> fan. Why are you not listening to me? I know I'm selling millions yeah. of records and the whole world wants my opinion, but I'm just a rap fan. Say, listen to me. I'm just, I'm just, I'm a rap fan, you know? And this time I sat down with him and I was like, you're a rap fan. Yeah. And it's I've, the first I've got time. It now. It's the first time <laughs> yeah. since the very first interview I did with him. Yeah. Which was like you're a rap fan. Yeah. And then after that, it was like no, no, you're the superstar. Yeah. yeah. And so we just got back to being rap fans, That's and it was just man. nice, you know. We, I've talked to him throughout his entire career. I've never seen him in a in a happy. I mean, I don't know him well enough to say this, but yeah, I've yeah. never seen him in what seems to be, you know just a healthier place as an artist and it's as a amazing. person. He just seems really cool and in a good spot. And um, I think people are like, why did you go and talk about his mom? Why did you do this? It's like, because man, it, he says it all on the records. Yeah. Can't, let's just have a conversation, two dudes. That, see the human side of him. Stop looking at him as the character he that he is in his albums and actually look at him as a father yeah. and as a person and as a human being and just as a normal dude. Because that to me is more fascinating than getting, you know, the, the crazy Eminem because he's not that guy. And that's it. I think the, the thing that podcasts and all these different long form interviews are, uh, are opening to me anyway is that I'm far more interested in interviews without an agenda that aren't a promo thing aren't that I've got my album coming out at this point aren't from the other side of the interview going I need to get some dirt I need to get some shit oh, I need I've to never been any good at that like, I can't do it it's just no good. it makes it's my like, skin crawl it's more exciting seeing two people just talking oh dude I mean the Chris Martin love. interview was painful for me everyone's like wow you really got stuff out of him I'm like Dude, I just I just opened the door yeah. a little bit. He's the one who him. walked through it. Yeah. You know, I'm not that guy. I can't sit there and like, you know, I want to talk about the tragedy. You We've know, I can't do it. Yeah, because I'm just a music yeah. fan. You know, yeah. I I just feel really blessed, man, that I, I can it's weird even to just be having a conversation with you about experiences that I've had and we've had and sharing this when really I'm just this guy who is obsessed with music and the people who make it. Yeah. And I just want to be as close to it as I can be, whether it's in the studio making music with people or whether it's interviewing them or playing the records or just being in a pub talking about it. It doesn't matter, you know? And so here I am, you know, 20 odd years into my career and, and I'm still allowed to do that. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, 
It's great Crazy, thankful right? every day. Um, how was, um, I'm, I'm going to go through and ask how was everyone and you're not going to be able to give me a room, but yeah. just, just again, the difference between talking to an Eminem and talking to a Jay-Z who yeah. I think is the best businessman and forward thinker in the history of rap. So yeah. how was that? Was that a different kind He's of thing like, of kind of uh, more of a almost, um, yeah, yeah, almost a business interview as much as, as, as a music interview? It's one of my favourite interviews I've ever been a part of, the interview. I, I was floating at the end of it. Yeah. Not just because Jay-Z's a charismatic guy and he's charming and he makes you feel very at ease and he's just a really nice guy to talk to. Yeah. But also because um, I just, I felt like I was just given this insight and hopefully it facilitated this helped to facilitate this insight into the 360 degrees of yeah. what rap is now. Yeah. Yeah, completely. From being an artist to being a businessman to being a public figure to being politically minded, you yeah. know, all these things that rap rappers can achieve now. And and the whole and and I just remember thinking at the end of it like I remember looking at those records, those three records in that record store yeah. when it was just being yeah. made. Yeah. You know, this is like a year or two on from the block parties, yeah, you know, crazy. and now look where rap is. And, um, just, I mean, Jay-Z beautifully as a businessman, as, and, and a rapper summed it up perfectly in yeah. his declaration and realization. I'm not a businessman. I'm a, I'm business a businessman. Man. And yeah. it's just, that was one of the most well, simple and simple things. It's like, that's, yeah. that's perfect. That is what, that is what rappers become. And if you can, yeah. if you can do that and be, keep right with yourself on both sides of that, of that line, then that's, that's gotta be perfect. Right? Well, people diss Magna Carta, but you look at the, th- the themes of Magna Carta and what he's trying to say, which is just like, you know, how, mu- how much is enough? Like, you know, um, you, you know, you fly so close to the sun, you know, it, yeah. it, it can become, it become a consuming experience. Yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. look at, at, at what, at what, at, at the world of media these days and what it is. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the absolute desire for people to read about, people everything yeah and everything yeah and you know i mean i think he, he strove to say something on that record that that, that, that got missed because people felt that the music wasn't up to scratch which is fine because every album every every artist has albums that aren't classics yeah, you know, not every neil young album is a classic no. but you know I, I think he was striving to say something there and i think that that the message if it had been a little bit more clear it could have it could have had more impact but i mean i think I mean, I love that record because I love rap records and he made a rap record. Yeah. But I mean, you know, f- from my point of view, he was one of my favorite artists to talk to and remains to this day there. And, you know, I mean, I'll just approach the subject now so you don't have to. I mean, it set things up perfectly for Kanye because that couldn't have been more different. Yeah, I mean, it it felt like the Kanye one was the one that really made everyone turn I mean you got him obviously at a time when Kanye was oh it was hilarious man we tried for years to do it we were trying to do it we'd been trying to get Kanye for three years and he hadn't done anything and then this whisper got to us like he might do something then he is going to do something then he's here it was that quick and he walked in on his own sat down and for the first eight minutes if you listen to that interview we're just talking about music I'm like this is my dream I get Kanye talking about music and then and then the switch you know something I want to say if I can and I just want to use this platform to say this. And then that was an hour later, you know, still talking. And it was, I just, I was just hanging on really. Yeah. And that's why people laugh. Like that wasn't an interview. Well, they're kind of right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't really ask that many questions, but at the same time I learned something really valuable years ago, which is that the job of an interviewer is to facilitate information for an audience that are hungry to hear it. And yeah, if someone is actively giving that information up, don't get in the way and don't put your ego in the way and don't yeah. try and integrate yourself in the conversation in order to stake your percentage of a conversation online or on TV or on radio at all. Completely. Get the fuck out of the way and let them say what they want to say. And at that point I realized that that's exactly Kanye knew what he wanted to say. So, 
I'll just sit back there and just do a few noddies. That must have been <laughs> insane, though, to get the... Yeah, to start off with the Kanye that that no one seemed to have seen for such a long time. The yeah. Kanye that's just a music fan. And when he came out, that's what... That's because what of it, his production, everything, yeah. it was clear, uh, just a music fan. Yeah. A, a, a music nerd. Yeah. I'd go as far to say. Yeah, I thought um, that's where we were going to go. I thought it was going to be Yeezus, and then maybe I'll talk a little bit about the trilogy. And, and we just... And then it was like, nope. But I mean, God, that started a, not just a sort of snowball effect for me as an interviewer internationally but yeah. you know it was a f- huge moment for Kanye because from there it went Kimmel and then it went you know power and then it yeah. went sway and then it went on stage and then it and now you know Kanye is the world he is the world's biggest rock star no question yeah. no one else even comes close yeah, it's true. and um I love him for it you yeah. know he's um he is the world's biggest creative enigma at this point yeah and it's perfect I love the, the most enigmatic artist on the planet I, I can't help but ponder and pontificate how much of it is is beautifully planned out and, and script like oh, things from the heart, man. Every gig where you see people tweeting and saying he had a go at the lighting man, it's like he's doing that a lot, and you all tweet about it a lot, and you all talk about it a lot. It's kind of that feels. That, but you're a beautiful cynic, screw. You are the show. You are right? a beautiful <laughs> cynic. I mean, you listen to your records, and it's let's be honest here. You know, there's not a lot of Coldplayisms going on here. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're cutting through and coming up with with perspectives but that again, are, you know, not in a bad way. That's a beautiful no, thing. A beautiful if Kanye, thing. If the craziness of Kanye is a beautiful, perfectly planned. That, oh, that has made him the most, the biggest rock star in the world. Who knows? I mean, I think. I think he has this fire yeah. that is bigger than almost any artistic yeah, 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 fire yeah, yeah. out there right now. Yeah. And it and it burns so bright yeah. that it can be so consuming, that it consume the public's attention and it can consume him. Yeah. And it can, it can just, he just has to say it. He has to do it. And I've long realized that the, a lot of the greatest music really, arguably all of it, is the stuff that has to be made. Yeah. Not that wants to be made or yeah, yeah, could yeah. be made, but it has to be made. Those classic albums are the ones where things have to be said. You've got to get it out. And you just get when Kanye has to get it out for better or for worse, you know, through it's that, it's respect and through, and through criticism, he has to get it out. And one of my favourite, um, Ian McKay uh, from Minor Threat yeah. and Fugazi quotes was um, him saying that he'd, he's always far more excited to hear music made by people who haven't quite got the time or ability or skill to fully express everything that they want to get out because it's just rippling and bubbling rather than suddenly it's one of those bands where everyone's a multi-instrumentalist and can just you know deliver exactly what they want that's the excitement and although obviously I'm not saying that Kanye isn't hasn't got the technical ability no doubt has, I know you're a big yes fan that, it's okay it feels that big push through of he needs to get this out now and this whole I know you love Genesis it's fine I mean the point <laughs> I, look I agree and now you've experienced the, the other side of having to try and interview those artists yeah trying to get them to express themselves when they're like, that's not why I got into this. I got into this because I can't express myself. So I do it through music. Now you want to ask me questions? Are you serious? Come on. You can't judge an artist on their ability to communicate. You judge it on the art they make. And so, you know, people were shocked by Kanye's interview and some people loved it. Some people just, it just served to, to strength it mesmerized them it, it, it compelled them some people which just strengthened an already existing opinion yeah. um it was the single most unique interview experience i've ever had to at the moment i think he's just yeah he's to be that big but still that 
unique and that out there and that unhinged is is an amazing thing. Yeah, he's just he's just him. Yeah, there's just there's one him. There's no conformity That's there great. at all. Um, just quickly also on getting to go to Rick Rubin and getting to go to the... You must have met him. You must have met him. I've never met him. Oh, come on. I would have thought... close numerous times. Oh, the first time... You and him. And me and Dan Lissac toured, toured the US. He apparently... I wanted to have a meeting with us because we were unsigned over there at that time. Yeah. And it all never came through. I, I've never known if it was a manager kind of... No, no, I know. I, the reason why or, I thought you would have met him is because you as an artist and the music you make is, I would imagine, is right up his, his, his yeah, street. Yeah. You know, I mean... He's, how was that? He's been... The silent partner in so much. Oh, it was amazing, man. He's been the puppet master of so much of music history. His records were my first venture into independence. Yeah. You know, it's on record on this interview. Yeah. You know, Yo Bum Rush the Show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Run DMC records, yeah. Raising Hell, you know. It, you know, his, his work with the Def Jam label was the original defining moment for me as a p- person through music. Yeah where I wasn't following, like I said, someone else's records, my brother's collection or whatever. Rick Rubin was my entry point. (laughs) So to be sitting opposite him in Malibu and Shangri-La and be able to talk through his life. I mean, every single bit of that interview got used because I actually, I actually got to it at the end of an hour and I was shocked that I'd, that it was done in my head. I couldn't really think of anything else at the time to ask him. And I was embarrassed privately because I was like, I should have weeks, weeks of things I want to ask him. Yeah. Why have I come to an hour and I'm ending this? Yeah. I'm ending this. No one's calling time. Yeah, so that's that. And I realized that it's because he's such a concise communicator. Yeah. And he's, he's just, he's in rhythm. Yeah. His whole life now, it seems, is about finding the rhythm Amazing. the right energy of just being in flow, even flow, right? Just everything is just and there wasn't any kind of anxious energy there. Yeah. I just felt totally at peace and relaxed. Concise, answer, putting you at ease, answering every question. Perfectly. Yeah. He's, you know, he's to this day Man, remains the nicest skill. guy to ever contradict you. Yeah. Really. Well, actually, no, that's not how it happened at all. But the thing is, and you don't feel remotely offended yeah, by it. You're just wonderful. like, great. Tell I'm, me I'm, how it went. I'm glad you cleared that <laughs> up. Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> you know, but at the same time, you realize he's a punk rocker and you realize he's a, you know, he's a, yeah. He's a promoter and he's still the same guy that got his dad to come to the venue and pretend to arrest, you know, the band for, you know, whatever, Amazing. you know, when they were kids and, yeah. you know, he's, you know, he's the wrestling fan, you know, he's still that guy. And I, and I just, so I just good. love the contradictions of his, of, of his journey that have somehow melded into this beautiful perfection. And it's beautiful that you got to give someone like that the same you know, treatment and exposure of your Kanye and Jade. You know, it was in 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 these these long form. He was the dream screw. The people that know, like you said, or the people who he would have influenced. He's the biggest in the world. But for the people who've tuned into a lot of the other interviews, a lot of them wouldn't have known until they get that conversation. They get that. Well, fair oh, play to Radio he One. He did this. He did this. He did fair this. Fair play to BBC. I mean, we 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 followed on. 100%. We'd followed on from Jay Z, Kanye, Eminem, and then I said I want to do Rick Rubin. They're like, well. I would imagine them to go, well, look, you know, yeah. Pharrell, yeah. Coldplay, yeah. Adele, yeah. what's going on here, you know? Yeah. And I said, I just think Rick Rubin's the right guy. That's amazing. You know, because it gets us away from the, you're never going to get a bigger rapper 
right now. So we need to get away from the hip hop industry because it's just people are thinking it's, it's a just a rap point. scene. Everyone, you've got, but he's a connector between that. all the types of music, you know. And and they were like, if you can get him, do it. And they were just a hundred percent behind it. And um and and when he said yes, I was just I was flipping out, man. I couldn't believe it. It's amazing. And then Chris said yes, and so we were out there. And we did both of them two days in a row. That's perfect. It was awesome. Um, another thing I wanted to talk about. We'll start to wrap up at some point soon. I promise. But um, I'm loving it. The getting to do how how great has it been for you to get to do the masterpieces um shows each is it four each year we did we we stopped i think last year was the first year we didn't do it and we wrapped it up because there was an album that i mean you sort of get to a point where you're looking around and you sort of feel, am I starting to overstate the importance of a record because we need to do this as a series? And one of the things I just, we always agreed was that if we, if we're forcing it, let's not do it. I agree with that. Cause you don't want to have to convince people that this is a masterpiece just because you need a fourth. Yeah. Cause three are genuine and one is like, well, I think it is, but you might not. And la 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 la. What were your kind of criteria for that? Cause I'd imagine there's certain things that are a masterpiece to you and in your life and in your experience, but you can probably concede isn't actually doesn't apply to the rest of of the world how hard was it to choose these specific albums that hopefully universally can be agreed upon it changed initially it was kind of more in line with the 100 greatest albums of all time so you would have you know your queen is dead you would have your oasis or you have your kind of radiohead okay computer and pink floyd Mm -hmm. dark side of the moon kind of thing um but then as it progressed on and we wanted to get more creative with it, we started to make them more kind of in line with what we thought our audience would consider masterpieces yeah. and take a few more risks. And that's where things like original pirate material started to make its, yeah. its it, you know, Siamese dream. Yeah. Um, it takes a nation of millions, which granted it is on the 100 albums, greatest albums of all time list, but records that we just thought would be kind of more in line with what we're trying to do. White Stripes, Elephant, you know, um, uh, Arcade Fire, Neon yeah. Bible. Yeah. Um, and it just it became it just it just kept it just became more of the show's identity and less about kind of everyone else's lists. Yeah, and I it mean, was a really fun thing b- to do because it felt again it feels like that was the only show that could have had such a broad range of what is a masterpiece. It's not it's not the, the masterpieces on mm. on the rock show or on on the rap show or on anything else. It's saying look these across the board across the board across genres these mm. are amazing. Well, so to records. me, I mean, you know, if you listen to people nowadays, you know, a lot of the, the kind of pundits and, and, and the writers and the bloggers and a lot of people saying, you know, the, the era of the album is, is, is over. And, and I can understand the philosophy, which is that, you know, playlist culture necessitates that, that ultimately, you know, a, a, a music by design, by artistic mm-hmm. design in an order unto which they want you to listen to it doesn't have the same relevance anymore because people just, have, again, are taking the choice back. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I disagree about with that in one sense because I think albums will always exist because artists want to make them. <laughs> and people always seem to forget that it's not really about whether an audience want them. It's the fact that when you sit down to make music as an artist, you want to actually yeah. spend your time doing it and you want to say something over the course of a fair amount of time. Yeah, and singles and EPs are ultimately quite an unfulfilling process. Yeah. I think they are. Yeah, yeah, and that's no, and I think and I think that's been a real issue with the with the whole dance music rise is the fact that, you know, it's just a currency of singles and you have artists that are now headlining festivals in front of 150,000 people with effectively two singles. That's insane, think, now, I'm not it? hating on that because they're great singles and, and, and ride that wave to shore. Completely. But ultimately, unless you're going to invest, like Disclosure have done, yeah. you know, um, and, other, and various other artists in albums, whether they sell or not, it's, it's, it's a statement. 
It's yeah. a statement that I have music and a lot of it that I want to play you and I want to give you an idea of who I am as an individual or as a band or an artist or whatever. So I felt with Masterpieces, like we were just trying to invest in the album as it's, everyone just stop. There's a lot of noise, a lot of pace. Everyone just stop. Just appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. And I haven't decided yet whether or not we've contributed something small towards maintaining that or whether it was the last dance. Yeah. I don't know. That's going to be an interesting one to pan out yeah. and see, right? Was yeah. Did you feel there was... Um, a time limit on on the on on how new an album could be to be in the masterpieces list. That, that conversation came up a couple Fire of times. Was probably the most a recent of the ones you mm. you covered, right? Yeah, that was. Although at the time, I think whatever people say I am, that's what I'm not. I'd only been out for like two or three yeah. years when we did yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, we did get some grief for that. Like, how oh, could it be a masterpiece? It's only two, three years yeah. old. It's like, well, because you listen to it and you just it know it's just, fucking, yeah. still a fucking amazing record. Um, it became playful, you know, in the end we just stopped being so worried about whether or not it qualified in this crazy criteria. And it was more just like, yeah. is it a dope record? Yeah. Is it a great record? Yeah. Is it really hard to fault? Yeah. Is it still exciting? Yeah. Can we justify calling it a masterpiece? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and it just became like, can we actually almost make masterpieces? Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? I As mean, opposed to that. Just, but just again, it's again, huge credit to radio one. Cause getting to, slow everyone down yeah. in radio at that point and put such a focus on 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 an individual album yeah. and then having that heard so much i i remember the public enemy one cl- cl- clearly because yeah. it's before a gig and i was in a fish and chip shop and it was <laughs> it was taking ages and i was just in heaven because i'm like i'm standing in a well fish it was and chip playing shop. in the fish and yeah. chip shop so i'm standing in a fish and, chip shop and i'm hearing a breakdown i've never thought about that public enemy i've never thought like, about actually so it takes a nation of millions to hold us back or original pirate material uncensored being played in a bar in public yeah and it was I always just thought it was a private experience. It was going into such detail and such intricacy and such passion, but this is just being heard by anyone. It's it just not just a location. Yeah, thing. I never, ever, ever contextualized it that way. And now I think about it, it must have sounded amazing while you're waiting for your yeah, fritters. It was crazy. And that was some good chips, too, man. Um, Louder well, than a bomb while you're waiting yeah, for your fritters. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Well, I'm going to let you get on now. Um, I guess we should round up with what's what's kind of the. the the future hold I watched the move forward obviously you've been doing some production over That's recent years and a big thing for me getting man getting into the studio getting back in the studio has been a huge thing for me in terms of just uh, getting on the other side of that of that of that sort of room going to that corner yeah. you know to yeah, about the yeah, corners yeah, yeah. and going well hang on you know I want to go back to that corner and I I've want got to- everyone in my corner but now I'm kind of interested in what that why the hell that guy isn't in my corner well just starting again <laughs> and just like going in somewhere and having people raise one eyebrow and go really you make music and just kind of having to sort of like trying to let the music do the work and again the be- the beautiful surprise right well, I just yeah up- no look I got this in my locker as well, well. I just woke up this morning and this. Sam Smith's just made a video for Restart the song that we co-wrote together and I produced you know and I'm like wow that's just gone online that's awesome that's a video that's for that amazing. now that's great and I just had no idea that he was gonna you know that was gonna come today and yeah. and just Dude, what I've gotten from that is just, like I said, I, I've always just wanted to be close to music. And as, and as corny as that sounds, and it's it's very easy. I know I'm a real easy target for people who are like, why do you have to be so enthusiastic? It's frustrating. It's in my face. It goes against my natural instincts, which are to just play it cool. And yeah. why can't you just play it cool? Just play it cool. And I might actually like what you do. Just yeah. fucking play it cool. You know, and I, I can't do it because music gives me this giddy enthusiasm. It makes me feel a certain way and going into the studio and collaborating with these amazing talents and learning so much about that just means, unfortunately for those detractors, when I go on the air, I'm even giddier. Yeah. I'm even more connected. I'm even more in place. And the beauty of it is that's exactly why you've, 
you've you've achieved everything that you've achieved because the people that are sitting home, any detractors that are sitting home saying this, play it cool, playing it cool, are probably playing it too cool to be to become Jay Z or to become Kanye, to become Eminem. So Eminem, all of these people, they're the ones that see your excitement and that's that's mirrored in them they're, they're they're music fans they're passionate people that's fine if you're cool and and believe me <laughs> there are people who are just naturally cool yeah. i'm not yeah. I'm, and never have been yeah. and my wife will tell you over and over again <laughs> that i am just not cool and what i am though is i'm enthusiastic and passionate about music and you know i have to say also let's not forget that you know that venture back into making music which i hadn't done for a long time started with you Damn right. You were the first guy to, to say, hey, give me a beat. Yeah. And it was a torturous process. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm that guy. But I loved it because you taught me so much about <clears throat> following the artistic vision of the artist. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Adapting your own ideas into a place where everyone can feel like it's, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. And patience and ultimate reward and and i got that ultimate reward when i saw you perform that song live at best of all it was one of the proudest moments of my of my of my creative life and you were the first dude to put me on you were like oh you make beats because you did the scroobius pitman down sack remix chuck chuck me one in fact i think i invited myself to your wedding i think i said like <laughs> hey man can i send you some beats and you took one you know and that was from there that's where it started so i got so thank you it man. was amazing thank it's, you it, and it was a great again it came from exactly that us talking off air and yeah. probably just about music about, about music. a love of music and passion for that so it's kind of well that makes sense that you would make music because you like it like i do yeah. and and la 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 you know exactly. and the reason we're sitting here today and it's been such a joy hanging out talking man and i believe me i don't do this very often because you know i i, I just i don't often think that anything i could say about what i've been through would be remotely interesting but when i think about talking to you yeah. i know i'm going to be interested so perfect. man I, I, it's very I, much appreciated dude you're gonna smash it with these things you know well thank you very much for coming on and uh yeah on to the next thing yeah man why haven't you asked me to make beats on the next record send me a beat too son. busy send hanging out with travis barker y'all <laughs> too busy hanging out with hollywood superstars y'all you've changed screw you've changed <laughs> done we out don't 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 believe the hype machine death of the journalist there we have it that was episode two we're a thing now it's done we've done two that's not just a one-off that's that's a thing we're a series um hope you enjoyed that i loved getting to go and talk to zane i you know, I went around and sat in his living room and it was so relaxed and so nice and seeing him enthuse over music and, and just just the bit that got me was him just reciting rap lyrics from like 20, 25 years ago. Um, and it's beautiful. Hopefully that all came across his passion for music and, and yeah, he's a good guy. I like him. But um, yeah, on next week's podcast, we've got Alan Moore, which is hugely exciting for me. And I mentioned at the beginning of the show the the overwhelming reaction to the announcement of the podcasts. And that was one that the reaction to Alan Moore's name, Alan Moore's name being on there was one that hugely excited me because he was a bit of a wild card in this. Obviously I was excited when I confirmed the booking, but he's not really got an internet presence. So 
I didn't really know. Obviously, with people like Russell Brand and Zane Lowe, I know they can tweet about it and push it out there to their fan base. But for Alan, I didn't really know. But the reaction has been amazing. I was worried it was going to be one that is just purely for me and that I'm just going to nerd out over and then play for people in my car if I'm ever giving them a lift anywhere and force it upon people. But it seems that you are rather excited about that one too. Um, I've mentioned all the reaction. Feel free to hit me up at any point at Scroobius Pipio on Twitter, at Scroobius Pipio on Instagram and Facebook.com slash Scroobius Pip um, yeah thank you for tuning in please subscribe and rate and all that kind of good stuff so you can get all of these podcasts we've got a lot coming your way in the future so thank you for tuning in and see you all next week